The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn presents... I'm Maura Arons-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope work will change in the future. One thing I've long been an advocate for is treating mental illness like we would any other physical illness, something that sometimes people just have, whether they're born with it or it develops. What stands in the way of that? Well, whether or not people want to say it, there's still an idea that you can't see mental illness. You don't know if someone's really telling the truth or what's causing their seemingly off behavior. This happens a lot, for example, to women who have ADHD. We'll talk about this today. And so that's another thing I'm hoping to do with this show, to help more people see mental struggles, to see what it means for people and how they have to twist and turn themselves to function and succeed in the world. And I'm so excited today to talk to someone who in many ways depends on appearances, not just physical, but in how she comes across to the world, how she interacts with people at a small and mass level. She's someone who's a figurehead, but that many people make assumptions about. She's Miss America. Emma Broyles is 20 years old, and she's the current reigning Miss America. Emma is the first Korean-American woman and the first Alaskan to win the title. The cause she's advocating for is the Special Olympics, inspired by her older brother who has Down syndrome. She's a lot of firsts. She's also been diagnosed with ADD and a type of obsessive-compulsive disorder. Here's our conversation. Emma, hi. Do I what do I call you? Do I call you Miss America, Miss Emma? <laughs> um, it's totally up to you. You can just call me Emma. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've I've never I've never um, interviewed American royalty before, so this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> My first question is, what is it like um, being Miss America during the time of COVID? Yeah, so the pandemic has definitely kind of changed the trajectory of my years, Miss America. I kind of enjoy it because typically Miss America travels, you know, like 20,000 miles a month and she's always in a different city. But with COVID, a lot of the things that I'm doing now are virtual, which makes things a lot more flexible for me. So I'm currently a junior at Arizona State University, and I'm still taking a few classes, although I am taking them online. But it makes things a lot easier because, you know, if I'm in New York City, I can be uh, zoomed into an event uh, somewhere across the country, right? So it, it really adds to a lot of flexibility, and it makes it much easier for me to be able to attend uh, events and speak at panels. So I really appreciate it. Um, Did you grow up doing pageants? You know, I didn't. So growing up in Alaska, I was very much a tomboy. You know, I spent my summers salmon fishing. Uh, The winters I usually spent skiing. And 
I did my first competition through Miss America when I was 15. So there was basically one year when I was 15 where I went to Miss Anchorage's Outstanding Teen, Miss Alaska's Outstanding Teen, and then Miss America's Outstanding Teen, which is basically the teen version of Miss America. Mm -hmm. And I earned like almost $5,000 in scholarships through that, as well as honestly over like $400,000 of in-kind scholarships too, which I then put toward my college degree. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know if I would return. I didn't have any plans to return uh, to kind of the pageant world, especially because it's not that big in Alaska. But this summer I was... Uh, it was about two weeks before the competition for Miss Alaska. And I decided to compete because I was getting ready to go to medical school. And I was realizing <laughs> it's pretty darn expensive. And, you know, my college funds were already dwindling. So I decided to compete. And then before I knew it, I was at Miss America. And then uh, now here I am. So I definitely wow. didn't grow up in the pageant world. But I think that that kind of um, made the experience a lot easier for me. I felt like there wasn't any pressure. Mm, interesting. Well, let's talk about pressure because I, I can imagine that even even you at fifteen to enter yourself and to get to Miss America, you you must have some kind of drive. Do you consider yourself a driven person? I do. You know, I think that the main reason I competed was because I wanted the scholarships, and I also competed because I really wanted the platform as Miss Alaska to talk about the things that I was passionate about, uh, which is, of course, Special Olympics. You know, having an older brother with Down syndrome, uh, I really wanted to spread to spread this message of inclusion and empathy. But when I got to Miss America. I had no plans of being a trailblazer at all. You know, I never had any plans of speaking openly about having ADD or dermatillomania and OCD. I didn't, I, you know, it just was in the back of my mind. It wasn't anything that I, that I had plans of speaking about, but I just happened to be set up with the right question that allowed me to speak about it. And, um, so it's crazy now that I am Miss America, I have, uh, my platform of Special Olympics, but I also have this platform of speaking about mental health, which is really important. And I found just such a unique path in my journey, uh, overcoming my mental health issues and getting to speak about it on a national level. What was that right question? So they asked me, um, about, being vulnerable on social media. I honestly don't remember the question word for word, but it was something about being vulnerable on social media. And I spoke to uh, the importance of people who are in positions of power or people who are in positions where, you know, they're role models for others, the importance of being vulnerable on social media. And of course, it's not easy to be vulnerable on social media. As I've been saying, you know, I had no plans of speaking openly about ADD and uh, OCD, but I just happened to think about it, you know, as I was on stage with a split second where I realized that, you know, I have this national audience right now. If I talk about this, there are so many lives that I could impact and so many people who can, who I can connect with if I really just kind of let my guard down. And this was during the pageant? Yes. Oh, wow. So this was live yes. all of a sudden. Oh my gosh. Yes. So this was um, my onstage question. So it's so mm -hmm. funny because this was uh, when I think we were eliminating from the top five down to the top three. And so um, that was like a very important moment for me as well, because, you know, I knew that in order to get into the top three, I would have to have a really good answer. And, um, but yeah, I just spent that three minutes or however long we had to answer speaking about mental health and why it's so important to uh, be vulnerable and to be open on social media. Because I think about 
you know, me as a little girl looking through social media and seeing all these girls who had these perfect bodies and these perfect lives. And you would never know that they had plastic surgery or that things were going on in the background that we didn't know about. And I would always think, you know, why don't I look like that? Why isn't my life like that? What's wrong with me? Um, and so that's something that I really wanted to do as Miss America, if I were given the opportunity, is to uh, show people that I'm just a normal person, right? And any normal person can still be in a position of power like Miss America. When did you learn you had ADHD? You know, it's so funny because I didn't know that I had ADD until I was 19 years old. So last school year, when the pandemic hit, was really when I was forced to um, sit with my own thoughts and sit with um, the fact that something must have been wrong with me because I was all of a sudden struggling in school. You know, being a straight A student up until then, it was really hard for me when the pandemic hit, being, you know, stuck in my dorm for so long. I just uh, really kind of spiraled out. And it was it was a really tough time for me. And that was when I was forced to realize that I was speaking with one of my friends and she was telling me about how she got a diagnosis of ADD um, a year earlier. And I was like, really? I mean, like at 18, they diagnosed you? And she said, yeah. And then I did some reading and I saw that women with ADD typically tend to go undiagnosed for a majority of their lives because it's completely unrecognizable. And once I finally uh, got with a doctor and got medicated, it was like, the blinds were taken out from my eyes. And all of a sudden it was like, everything was so easy. And I just, I, you know, I was taking some, I was taking 21 credits and I was taking like organic chemistry and some really tough classes, but mm. all of a sudden it was like straight A's, easy peasy, let way less work than I had to put in before. And um, so it, it was, it was crazy how much it changed my life and getting to speak with other women who have ADD. It's crazy hearing their stories and how they were also diagnosed at such a late age. What do you think it is about how we're socialized as women that makes us tend to go under the radar? Yeah, you know, I think that women in society are typically viewed as, you know, they they are quiet and they're obedient and, uh, you know, they'll do whatever they're told. And it's so frustrating, you know, when, when society is pushing these standards on us and society refuses to see us as who we are. But that's exactly kind of why women tend to go undiagnosed with ADD is because they're dismissed as um, distracted or just late or maybe a little bit disheveled sometimes. Uh, maybe maybe they're just, you know, not quite in the right state of mind. But it's, it's uh, you know, especially like with, with young boys who have ADHD, they're, they're running around the classroom, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're hyper, you know, so the teacher realizes that they're a distraction to the rest of the class. They tell the parents, you need to get your son uh, to see a doctor. But these women, they, you would never know. I mean, my friends never knew. They questioned, are you sure? Do you? I don't think you have ADD. You know, I've never seen you. Um, I've never seen the symptoms in you, but it's all internalized for um, most women who have ADD. Um, and I think that's the, the struggle with getting diagnosed. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, 
the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your coping mechanisms because you you are so accomplished for a young person. What, what, what do you think having ADD taught you about coping and excelling even when you had a disability? You know, it's so funny that you bring that up because that was something that I really kind of reflected on is the fact that I was able to get away for, get you know, for so many yeah, years, yeah. get along with nobody noticing that I had ADD because I had developed these coping mechanisms unknowingly even. But one of the things that I still do to this day every morning and what I started in high school was I had this insane fear of being um, like late walking in late to class. Oh my gosh. I'd rather just not go to class than walk in late. I feel like there's so much humiliation and shame that comes with that for no reason. But I know a lot of people with ADD feel that same thing as they're so embarrassed by their habits that they do everything they can to avoid, uh, dealing with them. And so every morning I will set up a, um, I write down just in my notes app on my phone, I will timestamp everything that I do. So I'll say, okay, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. And then I'll start brushing my teeth at 7, 10 a.m. And then I'll get in the shower at 7, 12 a.m. You know, so I, I do everything down to like packing my bag, packing my lunch, brushing my teeth. I don't know, doing my makeup. <laughs> and it's so funny thinking about all of these, these uh, coping mechanisms that I've come up with over the years unknowingly, but that have really kind of helped. And it was really hard for me in school, especially because I think that one of the main things for me is focus and getting my brain to focus on one thing. And so I'd sit through, um, I sit through, you know, math class, for example, and I wouldn't have absorbed any piece of information from that hour-long class. And so I'd have to go back home at the end of the day and reteach myself everything that we learned in that class. So wow. it was really just about kind of um, maneuvering these bad habits that I had because of my ADHD. A lot of people who are managing ADD are managing anxiety as well because they're managing and they're working so hard. Does that ring true for you? Yeah, it, it I think about how much time I spent in high school um, having to reteach myself lectures and concepts from classes that I missed during the daytime and how much time that took out of my life. Because, you know, after school, you go to swim practice and then I wouldn't get home until 4.30 and then usually I'd have some volunteer sort of thing to do. And then I'd sit down and reteach myself all that I needed to learn that I missed during the day. And of course, I didn't realize that this wasn't normal. I thought that this was what all my friends did. I thought that this was just part of going to school and being in high school. Oh, and God. then, yeah, and then I would get started on my homework. Um, and by that time, you know, after eating dinner, it would be like 9 p.m. And then, of course, you know, the procrastination is a huge part of having ADD or ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so I put it off, put it off, put it off. And then I'd finally get started at like 11 p.m., go to bed at like 1 a.m. and then have to be up 
uh, by 5.30 for school the next day. So it was a nightmare. But I, um, I had no idea that that wasn't normal. That was the normal for me. And I assumed that was the normal for everybody else. Wow. You also have a form of OCD called mm-hmm. dermatillomania. Did I yes. pronounce it right? Yes. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. So basically it's a body focused repetitive disorder, mm-hmm. um, that manifests in obsessive skin picking. So this, uh, this disorder typically goes hand in hand with anxiety, depression, ADD, bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, the ADHD uh, just fuels the dermatillomania. So there will be times when I would sit in front of the mirror, uh, for two hours and I wouldn't even notice that it's been two hours. You know, once I step away from the mirror, I look at my watch and I realize it's been, it feels like it was truly five minutes, but I'll look and, you know, my fingers are all bloody and I just have these open sores all over my face. And for some people, dermatillomania manifests in different areas of their body, whether it be kind of like their fingers, uh, their backs, their legs. But for me, it was really my face. And it was when my acne kind of started to get bad when I was a junior in high school. And it, that was another thing where it took me twice as long to get ready in the morning because I'd be slathering on concealer, attempting to cover these like huge scabs all over my face. It was really bad, but I didn't, again, I didn't know it wasn't normal. I thought that that was just dealing with acne. I had no idea that people don't, people, uh, for other people, they can just, you know, leave a zit. But for me, I had to dig it out until I felt like it was clean. And it was crazy just to to look back at pictures now, now that I've really overcome my dermatillomania. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really, it's with, it, no, it brings tears to my eyes to think about how, how much that infect, um, impacted my, my self-esteem. And especially during COVID, when I was in my room all the time, I, I lived in a room, a dorm that was just like a one bedroom. So I didn't have to interact with anyone else. So I'd feel completely fine picking for hours on end. But then I wouldn't leave my apartment for a week at a time because I'd be too ashamed to sit face to face with my friends and let them see, you know, my scars. It was a really, really hard thing to overcome. But um, working with my dermatologist, my dermatologist to first overcome, overcome my acne was kind of the first step. And that's why I want to go into dermatology, actually. Really? Yeah. Can you, do you say it's cured? It's, it's gone? Is it... Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that it can, I, I don't think that you can ever really get rid of dermatillomania. I think you can mm-hmm. certainly manage it. But mm-hmm. for me, I mean, still to this day, I, I mean, right now I have like a huge zit on my forehead that just came out of nowhere. I mean, I couldn't stop myself from picking at it. And now it's like a huge sore. So I mean, I've been, I really wish that it were something that you could completely get rid of. But honestly, I think that it's just, it's something you live with every day and you have to fight those urges every time you walk past a mirror. So now like when I get ready in the morning and at night, I get ready with the lights off because I know that one of my triggers is seeing my skin in the mirror. So there's all these different kind of maneuvers and uh, coping mechanisms that um, I've kind of come up with for my dermatomania as well. Do you have any other sort of OCD characteristics that come out? You know, honestly, I don't. It's it's really interesting how um, these body-focused repetitive disorders only, uh, for some people, that's their only form of OCD, right? Like they don't have any other of your typical OCD symptoms. It's really just that dermatillomania or the trichotillomania or whatever it is. And so it's really interesting how that's really the only thing that I've ever dealt with. It's so interesting to me because, you know, we all have our images of Miss America. Yeah. It's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. The idea of a Miss America who picks her zits obsessively yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> right? It's crazy. No, it's crazy to think about. I mean, I never could have imagined a Miss America like that either, which is why, you know, I wanted to speak so openly about it. And, you know, to be honest, I've never really seen celebrities or public figures talk about dermatillomania, which is why I felt so isolated having it. I really thought like, I just felt absolutely disgusting. None of my friends have it. I had never spoken to somebody who has dermatillomania. So I joined a Reddit group when I was first kind of coming to terms with my diagnosis uh, of people who also have dermatillomania. And that was really eye-opening for me. I felt like I really connected with that community. And even though I never posted, I never liked anything, I was just more of an observer, getting to see the stories of other people with dermatillomania, how they were overcoming it, uh, hearing about their low points and hearing about how much it hurt them really made me feel like I was, um, like I wasn't alone. And so as Miss America, you know, speaking about that, I, I, this, the next morning I had probably like 300 messages from people saying that they had never seen somebody talk about dermatillomania, you know, a public figure, a celebrity talk about dermatillomania before and how they really felt like they weren't alone and that they weren't a freak for having dermatillomania. And that was kind of what really made me realize that this is my platform, Miss America, and I, I need to use it to the best of my ability to show people that they're not alone, that, you know, th- they can overcome it, that they're not the only person in the world dealing with this. On the show, we've had a bunch of people who have ADD and ADHD. Many mm-hmm. of them have been successful entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. And they, they sort of credit this incredible drive to create. Yes. How does that, how do you feel when I say that? I completely agree. You know, I call it my ADD, my superpower, because I really think that this and this ability to hyper focus on something when you have ADD is an incredible gift. I am a musician and I absolutely love singing. It's something that I still study in college. And I, I completely attribute that to having ADD. Um, I really think that, you know, when I find a song that I like, I throw my whole self into learning it, into perfecting it, into perfecting my craft. It's really, it's something that I could do for hours and hours and hours on end. And when I find something that I'm passionate about, this um, ability to hyper-focus really, really gives me an extra ability that people with ADD might not have. And so um, being Miss America, you know, actually just a few days ago, we were at the Super Bowl and um, I had a 14 hour day of just socializing for 14 hours. And I think for a lot of people that would be probably tiring, right? I mean, we were jumping from event to event and we probably took like at the first event that we were at, it was like five hours and our our guest was about 4,000 photos that we took. It was crazy. But, you know, I, I really think that my having ADD and this ability to hyper-focus on things when I'm excited about it really just gives me this energy and this um, insane ability that helps me to perform at my maximum ability. And so I don't think I would know I would have been able to pull off a 14-hour day if it weren't for having ADD. That that would kill me. Um <laughs> That's interesting. So so what happens? Talk us through the process. Is it in your brain you say, okay, this is my job to do. This is what I'm going to do for the next five hours. And you just stay focused on it. Like, what is the process? Do you have to psych yourself up or does it just happen? You know, I think it just happens. Uh, and I usually don't even know when it's happening, but there will even be times when I'm looking at something online. Like, for example, when I first started thinking about whether or not I actually had ADD and I started reading these articles, I probably spent a day straight 
just reading articles, reading scientific journals about ADD in women and how it typically goes underdiagnosed. And I read through every possible symptom and I wrote out all of my symptoms and I compared the two. I did everything that I could to ensure that I had ADD before I went to go get a diagnosis. And that, I mean, like uh, that hyper-focus, I, it's just like everything else, I can tune it out. Like my mm. phone, I, my phone's not even there. I don't even know where my phone is, you know? Like everything, all of my energy goes into this thing that I'm passionate about. And that was, you know, for that one day, learning about ADD and learning about how the an ADD or an ADHD brain is wired and why somebody with ADD behaves and thinks the way that they do. Um, so it's crazy, you know, this ability to hyper-focus... I and that was something that I never even realized was an was an aspect of ADD until I got my diagnosis. Wow. Do you think that it makes you a different kind of Miss America? You know, I'm not sure if any other Miss Americas have had ADD or ADHD. Honestly, there had to have been some, you know, there's been a hundred years at the organization. I bet one of them has had ADD or ADHD, but I feel like it makes me empathetic. I feel a lot of what I do is I try to be very empathy driven. You know, I've got an older brother with um, an intellectual disability. And so a lot of the work that I do with Special Olympics is about speaking about empathy and open-mindedness and how um, bonding with somebody who is unlike you can really change your point of view on life and can really help you bring a sense of empathy into everything that you do. But I think that since I really had experienced that low point in my life where my ADD was at its worst. I wasn't yet diagnosed. My dermatillomania was at its worst. I wasn't yet diagnosed for that either. Um, that low point where I just, I fell into such a deep depression and I wouldn't leave my room for weeks on end. I stopped eating. I lost like, you know, 30 pounds. It was, it was, yeah, it was, it was a really tough time in my life. And I think about that and that's why, you know, everywhere I go is Miss America, whoever I meet, even if it's as simple as somebody coming up and asking for a quick photo, a selfie, and then leaving, I always try to carry that sense of empathy with me because I never know what somebody else is going through, but everybody has their story. And regardless of what they show on the outside, nobody would have ever known that I was struggling so much. Um, during that time last year, because I worked so hard to build this perfect facade, but to always kind of keep that sense of empathy with me, because I never know what's going on in somebody else's life. So wait a minute, you went through this deep depressed period right before you competed for Miss America or after? Actually, I guess it would have been, it was um, last year during my sophomore year of college. So it would have been quite a while, probably six months before I competed for Miss Alaska. Um, So it was, it was, it was probably about a year ago, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So talk us through the mind shift. How do you go from being so depressed to entering into a competition? I mean, that is the very definition in my mind of an anxious achiever. <laughs> yes, it is. It definitely is. You know, I, I sat myself down and I saw my grades slipping. I think the turning point was there was one week in which I had like three exams and I'm very school driven. You know, school comes first, everything else comes second. And the second that I see my grades starting to slip, I know that something's wrong. I know that I need to make a change because, um, you know, going to medical school, my, my undergraduate degree and my grades, the way that I perform in school is really, really important to me. And it's important to my career path. But I know I had three exams and I probably got like a 40% on all three of them because I simply did not study. 
And that at that moment, I saw my grades slipping and I realized I need to do something. I need to pull myself out of this. And I was too ashamed and humiliated to talk to my friends and family about it because it's embarrassing. And I know that my friends and my family would have been welcoming and they would have been more than happy to help me, but I was just too humiliated to admit it. And so I... um I said, all right, let's go. I'm going to get an ADD diagnosis. I'm going to get medicated. And that was the first step. And then I started working on my dermatillomania. I read through so many of these Reddit threads. And I compiled a list of the most common um, coping mechanisms. And I put them together. And I sat down and I wrote out what I think my um, triggers are. Mm -hmm. And I wrote those out. I ordered a bunch of fidget toys from Amazon. I ordered finger cots, which basically (laughs) it it like, I guess like I run my fingers over my face pretty frequently. And I'm, you know, feeling for bumps when I do that. And so you get these finger, these finger cots that prevent you from actually feeling anything. Like I got so many things from Amazon um, that I use to hopefully help myself cope. And I finally overcame my dermatillomania. It it honestly wasn't until like late this summer after I won Miss Alaska. I was still dealing with it when I was competing for Miss Alaska. It was much better than it was before, but it took a lot. It took six months for my acne medication to truly kick in because it was all about balancing the hormones, which in turn helped with the acne. So it took a long time, but yeah, it, it was a huge shift. And then I started the second, it was first semester that I was really falling under the water. But second semester of, of last year was when I really picked myself up. I started waking up at uh, 7.30 a.m. every day and the first thing I did was I went to go get breakfast from the dining hall. Um, and I knew that if I, if I started my day out with a healthy breakfast, waking up early, I would feel much better and be more productive, take my medication. And it was just like that. Like everything turned around for me. And I was, I was thinking, wow, I'm feeling pretty good. I think I, I think I could compete for Miss Alaska this year, um, get some scholarship money, and we'll see where that goes. And everything just kind of fell into place after that. Wow. My last question is, how are you planning and, and looking ahead for many years? How how are you going to keep yourself mentally well? Do you have a do you have a toolkit? Do you have a plan to sort of maintain your mental wellness, your mental health? Yeah, I honestly who knows what'll happen in the next few years. I mean, there's like a complete chance that maybe I'll spiral again. I don't know, you know, <laughs> but one of the things that I do that's really important is I, uh, I journal and I'm not one of those. I wish I were one of those girls who had like a super cute journal and made it all fun and pretty, but I literally whip out my phone and I have a notes app and my, I go to this locked note that I have. It's titled T <laughs> and I just write out everything that I'm feeling. And that's one of the things that I've been doing since I started college, because I'm one of those types of people who doesn't like to talk about my issues with my family and friends. I just don't, I know that they want me to talk about it, but I just don't want to have them feel that burden with me. And so one of the ways, you know, if I don't want, and I know there's plenty of people who are like that too, who don't like openly talking about their feelings because it's uncomfortable for them. So for me, one of the best things uh, to still kind of get that word vomit out is by writing it down on my notes app. Instead, I don't send it to anyone. Nobody sees it. It's just for me. And usually I never go back and read it. It's just like the fact that I'm able to word vomit, get it all out of my system. Sometimes I'll cry while I do it. Let all of those um, stress hormones out of my body. It just makes a huge difference. And sometimes I do go back and read it if I'm just kind of reminiscing and thinking about 
how far I've come. Sometimes I'll go back and read some of my entries from when I was really in the thick of it. But I think that's honestly one of the biggest things that's helped me is just writing everything down and letting it out instead of bottling it all up. Just giving my giving my mind my um, yeah, just giving my mind a chance to uh, reflect on the feelings that I'm feeling. I love that. And nothing like a good cry. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, Miss America, thank you so much, Emma. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a treat. I love any opportunity to be able to speak about uh, mental health. That's it for today's show. The Anxious Achiever is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krenko. Many thanks to all our guests for sharing their stories with us. On an upcoming show, we'll be looking deeper at imposter syndrome and how it affects your mental health. To share your story about imposter syndrome, send us a voice memo or video to anxiousachievermail at gmail.com. You can tweet me at moraam or reach me on LinkedIn. Send me a message. I promise I'll respond. If you love the show, tell your friends, subscribe, and leave a review. From LinkedIn, this is Maura Aaron's Mealing.